1 Corinthians 7, 3-5 The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, so we're doing a marriage series, and um, we're talking, it's a short series. Last week we talked about communication. It's was so important, communication in marriage. We talked about having kind communication, forgiving communication, tender-hearted communication. This week we're going to talk about physical intimacy. Next week we'll talk about raising kids together. And the final week we'll talk about sharing money together. Our hope as a pastoral team is that this sermon series helps our married couples thrive, help those who are thinking about getting married thrive, those who have been remarried Thrive. Those who went through a tough marriage, maybe um, look into the gospel to gain some of the forgiveness that's maybe needed from a horrible marriage to look to the future if God's calling you to be married again. And those who God calls to be single, um, to find contentment and wisdom in this. And those who are praying for a spouse and want to be married one day, I want to speak hope to you that you're in God's hands. And if you know, God has a person for you in his will, in his time, and to trust those beautiful and wonderful truths of the gospel. Um, but today we talk about physical intimacy. We're going to talk about sex. Um, Dennis is already laughing. Can you believe it? That shows you, that shows you Dennis's maturity level. He's laughing when I said sex. Um, I've never heard in all the churches I went to, I never heard a message on physical intimacy in my local church. I don't know if you have. I literally preached. At Seven Mile Road, they had me preach the message. And here I am for the second time preaching on it. But it's very important that we don't keep these things out of the light of the gospel. Because if we look at these things as if they're things like physical intimacy, things like sex, as if they are things that are off the table, they can be categorized as things that are dirty and ungodly, right? And then they become the enemy's workshop. Instead, we should be realizing that God created sex as a beautiful tool within marriage to show off his glory and to bring joy and as a gift. See, that's what the enemy does is he takes something that's beautiful and wonderful and pure, and meant for joy, and it makes it something that um, puts people in bondage, and that is dirty, and that is not talked about, and that becomes something that brings change instead of freedom, right? Something that brings misery instead of joy, something that is dreaded instead of enjoyed. And that's the enemy's workshop. So what we want to do is bring these things to the light, to have them cleaned off by the gospel, made shiny so we can enjoy them again, Amen. And that's the importance of the gospel in this matter of physical intimacy. So for anyone who's really looking to read a book, a good book on marriage, I would recommend I'm most of the way through it, maybe 60% through it, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Just very, very helpful, helpful book if you're looking for summer reading. And marriage might be one of those subjects you're like, oh, I don't feel like reading that. I want to read about something really serious about the gospel. I don't think there's anything more serious about the gospel than marriage. 
right, to read about that. And now I'm realizing, reading about marriage, how important it is. The Bible starts with marriage and it ends with marriage when Jesus returns. This was a way for Jesus to show off his glory and speak intimacy and joy and even his nature to ourselves. So I'm going to quote Tim Keller a lot in this because I'm going to get some quotes from this book. So I want to give him credit so you don't think I'm smarter than I am. Um, this is how he defines sex. And I think this is important. This is very important. I'm going to actually read it twice and I'll read it slowly. Indeed, sex is perhaps the most powerful God-created way to help you give your entire self to another human being. Sex is the God, is God's appointed way for two people to say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. You, we, must not use sex to say anything else. Let me read that one more time. Indeed, sex is the, perhaps the most powerful God-created way to help you give yourself entirely to another human being. Sex is God's appointed way for two people to say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. You, we, must not use sex to say anything less. Okay? See, sex is many times used to say lesser things. We try to sell it as something that's not big deal. We try to, Tim Keller says in his books, people treat sex only like it's an appetite, like you try out different dishes. Okay, that is not what sex is meant to be. Sex is a way to give yourself entirely to someone, permanently to someone, wholly to someone. They know you so deeply on a physical, psychological an intimate level that it is not something that we just casually do. It's something that we come into a covenant for, the covenant of marriage, because there needs to be protection when we're having sex. It is not a casual thing. It is legally binding. It is economically binding. It is psychologically binding. And it is physically binding. It's meant to be a holy and happy thing enjoyed inside marriage. And what I want at Restoration Road is our marriages to be filled with frequent, quality, intimate, and protected sex with inside marriage. Because when that happens, there's joy inside the marriage and it overflows to everything. So these are the three things we're going to focus on. Physical intimacy as covenant renewal. Physical intimacy as priority in a marriage. And physical intimacy as protection. Okay? And so we're going to start here with physical intimacy as covenant renewal. And this is a point that Tim Keller brought up that I thought was extremely, extremely helpful. All throughout the Bible, you'll see covenant renewing ceremonies. Actually, kind of what we're doing today in church is a covenant renewing ceremony. We're being reminded that God is for us, and we're reminding God through our worship that we love him for it. It's a covenant renewing ceremony. You see it all through the Old Testament. They would have priests and sacrificial systems and places where all the people came to be reminded of the love between God and man. The best way I can um, kind of think in common terms of this is communion. It's a covenant renewing ceremony we are reminded that god loves us we're reminded that jesus died for us and we by taking it are saying we freely receive that grace and we want to renew the covenant we still love you god 
We're still for you, God. You're still for us. That's a covenant renewing ceremony. You're reminded of these wonderful truths. And when someone stays away from the table, there's usually because something has happened in the relationship. Okay? When we have unrepentant sin in our life, you guys would attest, it's not comfortable coming up to this table, is it? Actually, many people, you won't see them come to the communion table for periods of time because some sin has separated them feeling in communion with God. So they don't feel comfortable renewing the covenant. Does that make sense, guys? But when we feel the free grace of God, when we feel the selflessness of it, when we feel the gospel that he's forgiven us, that he loved us, that he's known us before time, we joyfully come up here, we take the bread and the cup, we repent of our sins, right? Because we all know we're sinners. But we come up here and we take communion and we're renewing. It's a covenant renewing ceremony. That's what sex is in a marriage. It's a way to come together and say, I still love you. I'm still completely for you, and I'm still faithful to you. I want to renew covenant with you. When we don't have sex in marriage, we are making a statement to our spouse. Well, they might ask, do they still love me? Do they still want me? I mean, we all know our own inadequacies. Have I sinned so much that they don't even want to be intimate with me anymore? Am I still attractive to them? Have I weighed too much on them? Have I done something wrong? And when we come together to renew the covenant in marriage and sex, we're saying, I still love you. I'm still for you. It's a wonderful tool and a powerful tool God gives us to keep marriages together and to keep marriages happy. You know, when I talk to married couples, and none of us have perfect marriages, that would be a lie, right? Let's not lie to each other in church. None of us have perfect marriages. When I see healthier marriages where people are grateful for their spouse, where people love their spouse, when people see their spouse in a joyful light, I'm just so thankful to God. And I hear that in their conversations and I hear that, it usually equals a healthy sex life. When I hear very little about how someone is grateful for their spouse, I hear more complaints. I hear more about the busyness of life. Many times that equals an unhealthy sex life where there is like we talked about last week when there's kind communication when there's constant forgiveness when there's tenderheartedness usually that equals a healthy sex life when the gospel becomes distant and our marriages become more selfish usually it's more infrequent so i need us to hear that first like especially when there's unrepentant sin in a marriage there'll be big problems with intimacy. Like we talked about last week, when, they, when we say there is no dragon and we don't talk about things, that will hurt the intimacy big time. But when we bring them into gospel light, we're able to love each other and renew covenant. So I need you to hear that first. Sex inside of marriage is a way for us to renew covenant with our spouse. Secondly, sex is a priority. How many people would think that about the Bible? When they say, what'd you learn at church today? I guarantee you, people will not be ready for your answer. My pastor said sex is a priority. They'd be like, where are you going to church? <laughs> nice, nice. But it's so important for us to realize that in the scriptures, 
The scriptures written by the Holy Spirit make sex a priority in marriage. A priority so important that it actually says the only time to abstain from it is with mutual agreement to vote to devote yourself to prayer. Listen, I've been pastoring a long time. Let me hear one excuse. Let me tell you one excuse I've never heard from people not having sex in marriage. I'm praying too much. What's going on when I'm having sex? We're just so devoted to prayer. It never stops all day, all night, fast and pray. We don't have time for sex. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. I've heard people say, you know, life has got busy. I'm taking care of the kids. I'm, I'm overtired. I'm working too much. Those are some of the things we say that we abstain from. But God is saying this needs to be a priority. And let me tell you this. This is something I... I'm reading this great book. I finally finished it, so the stories will stop coming sooner or later. There's such good stories and illustrations. I've been using them from the book I've been reading. You know, some people will, we will say, sometimes unknowingly, that we're not having sex in our marriage for certain reasons, but they're not the real reasons. They're unknowing cover-ups. They're unknowing cover-ups. And I want to say some of us know why, some of us don't. Let the grace of God come. And I just want to share this story for us to understand this. Like someone say, oh, I'm too tired. I'm taking care of the kids too much. The work is too much. Someone might even say, well, I got to sleep in the bed with the kids to comfort them. And that becomes a regular thing. And I, I'll talk about that more um, just a little bit. But I want to share the story first. It's a story about a skateboard park in Canada. Okay. There was a skateboard park in Canada where all the kids would go to, and they'd go skateboarding. And what happened was the city in Canada, they couldn't get liability insurance to cover the skateboarders. So if someone got hurt, they were liable for it. So what they said, it says, we're going to make this this skate park safe, okay? We're going to make it safe for the kids because we have no liability coverage. So what they did is they padded this skateboard park. They made it so safe. You know what happens when you pad a skateboard park? No one goes there anymore because you skateboard because you want danger. That's part of the beauty of it. You want to skin your elbow. You want to tell a story of a guy who flipped over and almost broke his back. Kids skateboard because there's an element of danger there. But they made it so safe. And little by little, kids stopped coming to the skateboard park. So you looked at that skateboard park and it was absolutely empty. No one used it anymore. And what was taught in this book, it says, never look at what people say is the reason why. Look at the consequences of the decision. Okay? We might say that our sex lives aren't what they should be because we're too tired or overworked and we need to take care of the kids. But really, the motive of those people was not to make that skate park safe. It was to clear it out so no one attended it anymore. And they knew if they made it safe... No one would skateboard there anymore. And I think we do that. And I want you to ask yourselves if you have an unhealthy sex life, if you do that sometimes with sex. If you have a cover-up, it's other reasons. But look at the consequences that there's no sex in the marriage. That's the real reason that it's being done. Let me give you an example. Psychologists say this and attest to this. When a wife sleeps in the bed with her children every night because she says she needs to comfort them, Most psychologists say that's a deterrent, so the husband, she doesn't have to go to the marital bed where he'll make advances towards her. The real reason she's in the bed is not to comfort the children, even though we understand our kids get sick sometimes, go take care of them. But when it comes to the habitual thing, it becomes an excuse not to have sex in marriage. It's an actual deterrent that if I go here and use this reason, 
then my husband won't make advances to me. Right? You know I'm preaching truth right now, friends and family. When a husband continually falls asleep on the couch because he says he's overtired, it becomes a habitual thing, not a real and he just needs a night, a real thing. He needs to fall asleep, right? But it becomes the husband sleeping on the couch and the wife sleeps in the bed every night. And he says, oh, it's, I love that show so much. It's just comfortable there. That might not be the real reason nine out of ten times. The real reason could be he might have some unrepentant sin in his life that he knows will be confronted if he goes to the bed and he's challenged with real intimacy and he wants to keep that distance because there could be physical intimacy that challenges his conscience. Does everyone see that there? That's why we need to make sure that there's no cover-ups in our heart and we bring these hidden dragons to life so there's joyful intimacy in a marriage and we make it a priority and these other excuses don't slip in right please hear me saying i unknowingly unknowingly some of these things might slip unknowingly i'm not saying there's vindictive people out here like man i must say i'm real tired tonight i can't stand this dude like i'm not saying many of us are deliberate with it i'm saying let's get into and dig a little bit to uncover the things so that health can come forward in our marriages. I feel like everyone who slept on the couch is stressing out right now. I feel like every person that tried to comfort their child is feeling stressed. But let the Holy Spirit do His work if He needs be. If it's not founded, don't allow any condemnation to come in as we try to bring some things to the light. See, the scriptures teach us that having sex in marriage is a need, is a need that the husband should not deprive his wife of and the wife should not deprive her husband of. This actually was a revolutionary text because when you read it, when, when Dave read it, for Apostle Paul to write that the husband has sexual needs and that the woman, the wife had sexual needs was revolutionary for the time. To say that a woman had right to sexual needs in ancient time was revolutionary in the Christian faith because women were looked at as possessions that have no rights. But Paul is saying women have needs too and the husband should satisfy those needs. And you'll see the Christian faith do that in revolutionary ways. And that's what's happening in this text right here. It's saying there's a mutual need that both spouses need to satisfy. It needs to be mutual agreement. And I want to ask you, when you abstain for sex for periods of time, is it mutual or is it one-sided? Because if it's one-sided, there needs to be some good gospel conversation and maybe even repentance. To give you some context for this verse, what would happen when they would devote themselves to prayer, that many women had like something built off their um, places, uh, their houses in Eastern houses where it was actually in, like an apartment where they could go to be devoted to prayer. And so they would actually say, both the couples, would co- both the spouses would come together, husband and wife, say, listen, it was such a priority to say, we're not going to have sex for a week or at the most two because we're going to devote ourselves to prayer. It was many times a time of fasting in the community of faith. And so they would literally have to agree on it. It was such a priority, there would have to be agreement for that time, right? 
And that's very important that we have that communication in our marriage. So someone's not left in the dark and feels like, what words can I use to make this light but serious? If your spouse feels like a creep every time they ask to have to have sex, there's something wrong in the marriage. They're just in the corner like, can I? Can I have permission? Then they're just going to feel rejected just walking around like, how are you? <laughs> creep. This really happens though. People in the marriage, husband and wife can just walking around like, what would you do? I want to have sex. I'm sick. It's just warped. It's warped. Our spouses should never feel like that. It also should never feel like, okay, if I give into this, then you've got to give me that. It's not a bartering system. It's not a bartering system. It's a sacrificial system. Well, I want to serve you. I want to love you. And if I feel like, you know what? You're going to feel like sleeping or watching Netflix sometimes instead of having sex. Actually, many times. See, people are waiting for the moonlight to come through. Someone's reading poetry. There's pedals falling out the AC system. That's very rare. It's so rare you might stop and say, what's going on right now? If you wait for those times, sex will be like a holiday in your marriage. But when you say we both have needs, we both love each other, and we don't always feel like having sex, and it becomes a way to serve our spouses, then you have a joyful, self-giving, sexually fulfilled, quality protected sex life. And you thrive, your family thrives, your church thrives. So many things are connected to that that are so important. So, of course, there's times to abstain other than prayer. It could be sickness, it could be tragedy, it could be loss. Sometimes we have to say, I understand you're tired. I understand. And there's exceptions. But the general rule is physical intimacy is a huge priority that God puts on our marriages for His glory and our joy. So I want to ask you these questions to our married couples. Are you willing to make it your goal to serve more in the marital bed than receive? Are you willing to make it your goal to serve more in the marital bed than receive? Second question. Are you willing to offer up your body to your covenantal spouse with the goal of your spouse's satisfaction before your own. See, John Piper says that God actually puts us in a stalemate because he tells both husband and wife to be sacrificial and serve. And if you have two people that enter the marital bed like that, people are going to be satisfied and happy and feel loved. Amen? Like that's just the posture of a Christian in the marital bed. And final question, do you look at being intimate with your husband or wife as a way to renew the covenant and say to each other, I still love you, I still accept you, and I still want you on the deepest level because that's what sex inside a marriage does. Isn't that powerful stuff, guys? That's important stuff, that's clean stuff, that's holy stuff, that's gospel stuff. So the question becomes why. We know about renewing covenant, but there's another reason given here in to have frequent, quality, protected, intimate sex in marriage, it because it protects us from the riddles and from the temptation of the evil one. When you're in 
a sexually satisfied marriage, it is a wonderful gospel wall that is put up around you to protect you against the schemes of the enemy to fall into sexual temptation, to have extramarital affairs, to join your soul with virtual partners. It's a protection. And what a glorious tool that we can protect our spouses from the work of the evil one. Because there are few things that take down the souls of men and women than sinful sex that's outside of covenant marriage, whether virtual or extramarital. When we love, we love our husbands and we love our wives more than anything, what you want to do when you love someone so deeply that one of the first impulses is protect them. Amen? Is to protect them. I need to protect my spouse. I'm not leaving them out there to get hit and to get hurt and get tempted and hungry. I love them too much for that. And so what do we do? We say, I'm going to serve them and love them through being physically intimate with them. We do that through frequent frequency of sex and marriage, through quality of sex and marriage, through intimacy of sex and marriage. We keep our marriages safe from the snares of the evil one. You know, there's a, there's a beautifully embarrassing verse I'm about to read in Proverbs 5, 18 through 20. Let's be embarrassed together. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to a husband about his wife and how sexually satisfying a marriage should be. It says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Do you hear that word intoxicated? Like when we think of our, our physical intimacy and our marriage, what God wants us maybe to define it as is intoxicating. Like I'm intoxicated with, with love for my husband or for my wife. It's fulfilling. I'm satisfying myself with her and she's satisfying herself with him at all times. And when that happens, there's protection in the marriage. Amen? You know, I want to share this story. There was a man in a, it's not our group, so don't try to do detective work. It's not our church. I don't know you guys. Who was it? Where was he? What shirt was he wearing? I know how you guys do it when I give examples. There's a guy who came to a small group in another church and they were doing some care among the guys. And what had happened with him is he had fallen into having, I'll call them virtual partners because I don't, I don't want people to just look at it some distant, having virtual sexual partners and pornography. He had given into that and he was confessing his sin, but he was so frustrated with himself. He was so mad at himself that he said, he was just so frustrated. He said, I had sex with that woman. He used a cuss word instead of sex, so it made it real in that group. And Joe Gore said, I should have used the real word. It wasn't Joe, I swear to goodness. <laughs> I'm sorry, pal. Well, it really wasn't. Here we go. <laughs> I swear to goodness it wasn't. Joe know of the story. Joe told me the story. And the, the person, you'll never know him if I said his name anyways. But 
this word was so strong in what he said. Actually, 10 years ago when I was a lot more immature, I would have probably said the cuss word. Nathan, you want me to say it, man? <laughs> you smile like. <laughs> um, but he said, I had sex with a woman. And it was so such a serious, serious moment that he felt the weight of what had happened, not in a light way, because he had given himself entirely to another human being, even though she was virtual, in a deep, intimate, psychological and physical way. And he felt the weight of that. He felt the weight of that. But the reason I tell this story is not for condemnation. I want you to hear what happened next. Because this is what I want everyone to hear today. That group began to speak the grace of God to him. And the gospel to him. And say, you're forgiven. You're loved. Of course, they helped him out with the accountability stuff. But they spoke the gospel to him. And he began to get freed up. And he began to hear that gospel of grace. And a dirty soul began to become clean. Do you guys hear what I'm preaching right now? Because this is what happens. We're hearing the message today. And know what happens in good gospel preaching that is faithful to the text? We feel our sin. If we don't feel our sin in the message, the gospel is not being preached. Because you can't bring something so holy like the gospel into a group of filthy sinners like us and everyone feels comfortable. Am I preaching truth? But the beauty of it is God does not expose the sin in our marriages. So he says, you're filthy and I don't want anything to do with you. He says, you're filthy, but I'm making you clean and I want everything to do with you to wash your marriage and your sex life clean. And that's why we do this. Because the gospel is only beautiful when sin is the backdrop. The sin and the punishment that we know we deserve. The times where we fantasized about other people other than our spouses. The time when we rejected our spouses and chose our selfishness. The times when we didn't make our husband or wife priorities. We know that. But the beautiful thing is, gospel preaching becomes an effective gift of grace to lead us towards the mark so we can move and change and have healthy sex lives. Where we rejoice and we're intoxicated and our marriages are protected and we have joy renewing our covenant with our spouses. Amen, Restoration Road? So this is what I want us to hear today. God created sex to be enjoyed inside the protection of marriage. Renew the covenant with your husband and wife regularly. Make it a priority. And allow God to bring wonderful gospel protection to our marriages. Let's pray.